Hello, fellow therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. If you're listening to this episode on the week that it's launching, so today is November 11th, 2019, then you know that this week the doors to Modern Therapist Academy are opening. So Modern Therapist Academy is my private practice e-course. It's comprehensive. It's the roadmap that you've been looking for to building a modern private practice. The doors to enrollment are opening on November 13th, so this Wednesday. Enrollment only opens a few times a year, and I'm so excited to be launching it again. You can find more information at the link in the show notes. If you have listened to prior episodes or if you follow on social media, you know that there is a bonus that's happening if you sign up or enroll on the first day of the launch, November 13th, where you are going to be one of the first to get your hands on the podcasting for therapists mini course that launches in March. So mark your calendars, November 13th. I'm so excited to get a chance to connect with more of you as you enroll in the course and join our private Facebook group for any of those therapists who have enrolled in the course where we do Facebook live Q&As and we continue to connect offering resources and referrals to each other. If you are ready to take that next step or leap or to level up your business, I hope I see you in the course. All right, so getting to our episode today, which I am equally as excited for, today I have on the podcast my good friend, Sahar Martinez. Sahar is not only a colleague, but she was also one of the first therapists to enroll in the Modern Therapist Academy when it first launched this past summer. And in today's episode, we are exploring the different ways in which she and I have diversified our income. So one of the biggest fears that I hear people talk about when they're considering starting a private practice is the fear of not having security, financial security, financial stability. And so one of the ways in which I have, because I do value security and stability as well, and I was worried about that as well, One of the ways in which I have built a lot of security and stability in my business is through diversifying my income. So in this episode, we explore some of those options. Sahar shares her experience with diversifying her own income as well. I'm really excited to get a chance to share her and her story with all of you. So let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space for Therapists, a podcast for modern therapists. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I'm passionate about supporting therapists and building profitable, sustainable, and meaningful private practices. Are you ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Let's dive in. Hello, Sahar. Thank you so much for taking the time to record an episode with me today. I am so grateful to you and excited to talk about diversifying your income when you are a therapist in private practice. So I'm just really grateful to get a chance to talk to you about this topic. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so let's start off with some context and get a sense of, you know, your background and what brought you to do the work that you're doing. Sure. Um, So it was my childhood dream to be a therapist. 
But my road to getting there was not traditional. Um, I actually worked as a graphic designer in the fashion and entertainment space for almost a decade. Are you serious? Yeah. I did not know that. And now everything makes so much more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. So I still freelance um, as like a favor to friends and stuff. But there was a point in my career where I was just not feeling fulfilled. And I did not want to resign myself to, well, this is just a job and, you know, put your head down and go do it. I was like, I want to feel passionate about the work that I'm doing. And I wasn't feeling passionate in the same way about doing graphic design work that I had when I initially started. So I really like feel like I attended to that like seven-year-old self and was like, what is it that I want to be when I grow up? And the answer was a therapist. So I went back to school and that's how I got here today. Oh my gosh. I also just love, you're such a therapist. I love how you just said, I attended to. (laughs) That is so, I love that. Oh my gosh. That is, that is such a beautiful, such a beautiful way to describe that pivot for you. Oh my gosh. I think back to this project that I had to do in, so maybe it was older than seven. It was like in the fifth grade and we had to make a diorama about like what we wanted to be when we grew up and all these kids like made these fancy things like I want to be a fashion designer. I want to be this. And I made like a therapist's office. <laughs> so oh that's like God. initially what I thought of when I thought about what I wanted to be when I grew up is I thought about that little diorama that I made. Oh, that is, that is so, that's so amazing. And it's incredible that you gave yourself permission to actually go there. Right. And to yeah. make that pivot. That's amazing. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your work now. So what does your life look like now and your practice? And yeah, just give us an, like a peek into your life now. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm a mom. Um, I have two sons that are two and four. Mm-hmm. And a large uh, part of the reason why I am in private practice is because of them, because it was really important to me to be able to be there for them in the way that I wanted to be and working like a typical nine to five job or an agency job wouldn't have allowed for that. Um, so yeah. in private practice for that reason, but yeah, I'm a mom. Um, I'm a wife. I am a college professor. I <laughs> wear a lot of hats as we all do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So we're talking today a little bit about diversifying income. But first, I want to touch on this piece of your decision to go into private practice, because Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of different reasons that folks go into private practice. And I know for me, it really was because there are like two, there's, there's a few values that align with private practice, but two of them are freedom and flexibility. Like I just knew, I knew from the very beginning that, and this is not the case for everyone. It doesn't need to be the case for everyone at all. But for me, I knew that I thrive both creatively and, um, I'm a better therapist. I'm a better Mm -hmm. person when I have freedom, when I have the freedom to create something for myself, to do work in sort of my own framework. And I know that when I was an intern, one of the things that I really struggled with was being 
yeah, it was sort of having a framework kind of put on you, which makes so much sense when you're an intern because you're just learning and you're training and having that framework also feels really safe. And I think that in that safety is sort of where growth can happen. Um, But I was at a site where there was a lot of um, CBT uh, Mm -hmm. I was in an integrative healthcare setting. And so that was the language that the physicians spoke that were referring to me. And I was doing that for a while. And I really think there's tons of value in CBT, but I also really find myself more aligned with some of the more postmodern theories like narrative and act. And so I started doing that, like kind of behind closed doors. (laughs) Um, It was, it was a struggle to really feel like I could do the work that I was feeling called to do in the way that I felt called to do it. Um, especially towards the end as I was getting closer to licensure, I really Mm -hmm. felt that like I need more freedom. Um, And then once I became a mom and when I was a mom and just knowing that I wanted my private practice to also be really flexible and my business and my work to be flexible so that I could, you know, volunteer in my kid's classroom and decide Mm -hmm. what my hours were going to be and to not have somebody else make those decisions for me and, when I want to go on vacation, like I'm the one that's like, okay, I want to go. So now I'm going to plan and prep for it. I don't need to get permission or, you know, talk to somebody else about this. Um, and so, yeah, those were some of the values that really guided that decision for me. And I'm curious for you, were there, were there similar values? Were there other values that really sort of informed that decision for you? See, a lot of those values, if you had asked me uh, initially when I had first started sitting with clients, what I wanted to do after I was licensed, I would have said that I wanted to stay in a community mental health setting. Yeah. Um, And I feel super passionate about that work. And I still like I hold sliding scale spots in my practice because of that. And like you were saying, once I got closer to being licensed, there was this uh, deep desire to really channel into who I am as a clinician and how I want to serve the people that I'm working with. Yeah. And a lot of that is largely in having that freedom, um, the freedom and choosing the modality that you yeah. move forward with the freedom in the clients that you're working with. And I think when you work in an agency setting, a lot of times, at least in my experience, it was, here's your caseload. Here's who you're being assigned to work with. And there is no, um, autonomy for the clinician or for the the client coming in. Yeah. And now I work with people who they, they come to me because they want to come to me. They're choosing me. And I also have the opportunity to say, hey, maybe I wouldn't be the best fit for you, but I have these referrals that would be. So I think even flexibility in that space yeah. has been really empowering um, to know where my strengths lie as a clinician and to know, you know, I don't have to say yes to every client that comes in because maybe we wouldn't be a great fit and that's okay. Yeah. Mm, Okay. So many things you just said there. So one I'm hearing is that one of your values that you brought, that you're bringing into the world of private practice is the value of accessibility. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of why your decision around offering a sliding scale is connected to that value. And Mm -hmm. I know that for some folks, I've had some um, therapists that I've coached or worked with in the past or have gone through um, my course who will ask questions around sliding scale and will share their experience of like, I offer my sliding scale and then I find myself feeling like resentful because I am like not getting, you know, it's, I'm barely covering my overhead costs mm-hmm. and these sort of things. And so I talk with them about sort of the formula for deciding how much of a sliding scale you can offer, right? Like I actually, sure. I get like, clear about that. 
But also, if you're offering sliding scale and that offer is connected to something that you really value and you're able to come back to, but you're able to land in that why in those moments, I mean, that's 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 the game changer from like right. burnout to like having a practice that feels really meaningful, you know? So it sounds like for you, the the value of accessibility accessibility shows up in your private practice, and that mm-hmm. is a part of your decision in offering sliding scale. But also, it sounds like in being somebody who is is outwardly saying, "Hey, I want you, I want you guys to reach out, even if you don't think you can afford my fee. We can either talk about sliding scale, or I'm going to support you in being the bridge to get the support that you do need by Absolutely. following up." Yeah, absolutely. And I think that happens a lot. Um, I've experienced that a lot where I've had people reach out either through social media or through my website, just saying, Hey, I want to come and see you. I don't know if I can afford your fee. And I'm like, Hey, more than happy to either connect you with someone who takes your insurance or to connect you with a local agency that does uh, affordable counseling services. Yeah. 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 And you know, I find, because I, I have it on my website where I share that, that like, even mm-hmm. if you don't think you can afford my fee, please don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah. If, I can't, if I can't help you, then I'll help you find somebody who can. Mm-hmm. And yes, it takes a little more time through email, right? To mm-hmm. engage with somebody that I'm not going to, is not going to be a client of mine, but I, it, it, it feels so right. And it's so aligned that like that time is okay. You know, I think that if we, if we're doing this stuff and we're just like, Oh, we don't even know what it's aligned with or like what our value is behind this offering, then that's sort of where burnout can come in. But absolutely, yeah, I think that, you know, having, having it really clear and upfront on my website, like what my fees are and, you know, that I do offer sliding scale, but it is limited to how many I can. Mm-hmm. And even if that's not going to work out, like let's find a place for you to get support. And that's yes. where having those relationships with community organizations or um, community centers or um, other colleagues and mm-hmm. knowing like what they're able to offer is so helpful and so critical because those emails are easy. I know exactly like where, where I could send them once I have a right. little bit of information, you know? Yes. Yes. Cool. Well, we just went off on a little tangent, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So coming back to this piece of diversifying income, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about income in a different way by talking mm-hmm. about scale, but I would love to sort of hear different ways in which you have, um, you know, with freedom and flexibility decided to and implemented diversification of your income and just diversifying what you do on a day-to-day basis. So you're not just seeing clients every day, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. No, I'm not. I actually only see clients three days a week. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. So I see clients three days a week. I um, am adjunct faculty at a local university. And this is something I want to touch on because I'm actually adjunct fa- faculty, not in an MFT program. Um, I cool. teach in a department of physical therapy and I teach I cultural diversity. And I think this is important to note because in the work that we do, it branches out into so many other aspects of healthcare where it brings oh. us a lot of opportunity. Yes. I teach psychology of healthcare and cultural diversity to physical doctoral physical therapy students. That is amazing. And I actually, one of my first teaching jobs ever 
was um, in the a nurse in the nursing department at mm-hmm. the university that I teach at. So I'm also an adjunct faculty, and I do teach in the MFT um, program as well as the counseling program. But my first teaching gig ever was teaching nursing students, and I was talking to them actually about. Um, family systems and family mm-hmm. theories to support the work that they were doing. And yeah, so I mean, I, I, I hadn't really thought about that as being something that would be really helpful and important to share that if you are a therapist, obviously so much of what we do can go into so many different um, realms of, of work. I mean, yeah. nursing for you, physical therapy, I mean, business organization, like there's Mm -hmm. so many different spaces that we can be showing up. And so that's really cool. How did you get that job? So I actually guest lectured uh, in an MFT class and through guest lecturing there, I, the, the professor that I guest lectured for had asked me, you know, would you ever be interested in teaching? I was like, oh, I would entertain the idea. Yeah. Um, And then a week and a half later, I had a job offer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it happened very fast. <laughs> yes, I mean, I had a really similar experience. So for those of the for those of you who are listening who are interested in teaching, because I do know that I I get a lot of folks and other therapists who are curious, like, how did you get into teaching? I I, I know that I don't want to do it full time, but mm-hmm. um, I would love to do it on the side or adjunct. Is I gave guest lectures, and so yes. I and I did that for free, you know, for a mm-hmm. period of time, um, giving guest lectures here and there. Um, and then from that and from just building relationships with the local university and where I teach is actually where I got my master's from. So I just maintained those relationships. Right. Um, that is where I got the, the adjunct teaching gigs to teach my own courses. And so it sounds like you had a similar similar experience of right. being connected and giving guest lectures. And then it kind of went from there. Right. So I think so much of the work that we do is, you know, giving back to the community. And I, I, and this is something, another, like a piece that I'm again, really passionate about. So if I can go in and guest lecture for a class for an hour or two, I'm more than happy to do that and connect with the students and kind of offer support in a way that maybe I wasn't offered as a student. Yeah. And then also these opportunities arise out of it, which is amazing. I will say that um, as I have diversified my business more and more, um, I have um, taken more steps to to not teach as much because I was teaching mm-hmm. around uh, three to four classes a year. Oh, wow. And so now I'm only teaching like my one favorite class that I love teaching. That's mine. Um, it's a marriage and family therapy class for undergrads. And I love that course because I get to be the first person to like share these ideas with, um, you know, folks who are interested in maybe pursuing becoming a therapist. A great- so I love it. Um, and, but I will say that like, as I have sort of scaled, you know, scaled back and diversified my income more, I want to keep teaching because I actually find that there are so many opportunities that come from being connected to students and being connected to the university. Mm -hmm. I think that one, yes, it brings credibility because you're a professor, but also I will say that I've gotten a lot of referrals actually from prior students and like they don't come and see me, but they send their friends, they Mm -hmm. send family members, they send 
people that they meet on the street. I don't know, but like other, uh, a lot of my students are like a really great referral source for me because they've gotten to know me through the semester. They understand my style, they trust my worth, and then they trust to send people that they know or care about to my private practice. And so, yeah, it's just been, it's been a great, yes, source of income, but it's also lended itself to my private practice as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will say, because I also get the question of, um, you know, do you have to have a PhD to teach? No. And we'll say that in my, in my, uh, un- the university that I teach at, there are quite a few master's level adjunct teachers and they mm-hmm. are some of the best because they are like, they're like their whole, their whole world is clinical. And so yes. a lot of these students really are great, like want to just be clinicians. They maybe aren't mm-hmm. going to go on to be researchers or educators. And so having somebody who's in it and like seeing clients every day and that's their whole world is really valuable. So um, even if you don't have a PhD or a PsyD or one, you know, one of these do- a doctoral degree, um, even at master's level, I still think there's there's room and opportunity to reach out um, and and do some of this some of the teaching as well. Absolutely, I mean, my doctorate is in progress currently, and so I don't have a completed doctorate. Yeah, and I yeah. yeah. So I think when you make those personal connections through the university, through professors, through your own programs, and they are able to see that you are someone who is, you know, more than capable of, you know, having their own class you become like a a real connection for them. You're not just a resume or a CV, like they know who you are. Right. So they extend, you know, that invitation to come give it a go. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what are some other ways in which other things that you're doing or maybe not things that you're doing, but that you've seen other clinicians do to diversify their business and their income? So some of the other things I'm personally doing are things like speaking engagements, uh, workshops, Um, hosting events. I'm in the process of developing a couple of products. And so just kind of figuring out uh, how I can put myself out there in a way that feels authentic to me, which is attending to that therapist side, but also that creative side of me Mm -hmm. um, and also bringing in, you know, an additional income. Girl, you're speaking straight to my heart. (laughs) To the next. It's like, I, and again, there are plenty of therapists out there who they will start and they will retire seeing clients mm-hmm. four or five days out of the week. And that is what they were put on this earth to do. It brings them so much joy and yeah. like streamlining their business where that's what they're doing. That's what they know they're going to show up and do every day is meaningful to them. And that's beautiful. And mm-hmm. there are other folks like myself, and it sounds like you, where I knew that I wanted to have my feet in a few different things. And, um, you know, so t- I knew that I wanted to teach. Well, originally, I will say this is that when I was getting my PhD, I did get kind of hooked by the idea of, you know, the, the, the gold standard after you graduate with your PhD is to go get a full-time tenure track faculty position. Mm-hmm. And so I actually applied to a few of those positions. And I remember leaving the interviews and I almost couldn't wait to get off the campus. Like, <laughs> And like, there was so much data and signaling in that, that like, I'm like, this, yeah. this is where I would go. And I would just, it'd be soul crushing for me. And that is right. not the case for everybody. 
but I knew for me that like I needed freedom and flexibility and to be able to be creative and to, to diversify what I was doing and have my foot in a few different things. And I would not have had as much of a chance to do that. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but as much of a chance to do it in the way that I actually really thought that I wanted to do it if I was doing a position like that. And, you know, the downside is with that, there's like, yeah, security, which is something that, you know, some folks really value. And I do mm-hmm. too in some, in some degrees. Um, health insurance, you know, like, benefits, <laughs> like all those sort of things. So it felt like a risk. But when I really looked at my values, and yes, I do value security. Um, but when I looked at like how I wanted to prioritize my values, they the freedom and flexibility and creativity were way more up there. Um, and what I have found is that in allowing myself to have the freedom and flexibility, I've created a a career and a business that is really secure and stable because I have diversified and because the ways in which I've diversified actually feed into each other. You know, yes. um, I teach and that supports my private practice. You know, I, um, I have a private practice and that supports the fact that I have these e-courses about mm-hmm. private practice. You know, I have a course um, about for postpartum and preparing for postpartum. And that supports the fact that my ideal client in my private practice is somebody who's pregnant or postpartum. You know, so these things feed into each other and it's created this really stable and secure business model where I have a good, you know, I, I have a good, a good income that's coming in every month where I know it's not just coming in from one source either. So, you know, there are those months, you know, everybody knows in private practice, there's those months for me, it tends to be January and like July. That July. Yeah. yeah July, <laughs> July. The dark months. Yeah. That are like so much slower, but yeah. I'm, I'm not just making money. I don't just make money from seeing clients. I have mm-hmm. courses, I teach. Um, I also am working on and creating some products um, with uh, some companies that I love and believe in. And so it's, and I have my podcast. And so these are just, yeah, different ways of bringing in income and it creates stability and more security. Um, But again, that is the model that works for me, you know, and it doesn't have to be the model that, that everybody necessarily decides is right for them. I think you make a really good point. And what it comes down to is identifying like what fits into your professional ecosystem. Yes. You know, and what goes hand in hand with your overall goal, which is feeling fulfilled in the work that you're doing and not burning out. Right. Oh, yes, exactly. Okay. So with all the things though, (laughs) with all the things, (laughs) how in the world do you manage time management. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the word balance, but you can't see me. I'm putting it in quotes because I just don't think <laughs> that like balance purely is, is really possible. I think that it's more about like the tough decisions that we're making and prioritizing and boundaries, all that good stuff. But I'm curious to hear, how do you manage all the things and what are your thoughts on balance and finding balance? So I think that there is no, you know, finish line that you cross when it comes to balance. It's striving for balance is ongoing. And for me personally, it's a lot about checking in with myself. What are my goals? What are my hopes? Um, And then also looking at the areas in my life where I maybe feel burnout 
Mm. and to see what I'm not attending to in those spaces. And oftentimes, like when I can look at those areas, I can say like, oh, well, you know, I'm lacking a creative outlet right now. And so how do I bring that back into the mix? Or Mm. I'm, you know, I'm taking on too much. Um, An example of this would be I, I'm trying to think, a couple of weeks ago, turned down an offer to write a book. which I never thought that I would do. Like, why, why, you know? And when I sat down and I really thought about it, I was like, this, what they're asking me to write is, does not align with what I am doing. Yes. And it would take time away from the different spaces in my life that are really important to me, like finishing my dissertation, like attending to my children, like my clients, um, the workshops that I do, the events that I host, you know, those kinds of things that, like you said, they all feed into one another. This was an outlier it didn't fit into my ecosystem. So I had to sit down and think about it and say, you know, as much as this could be great for my career and it could, you know, take me in a different direction, it also is going to disrupt all this other stuff that I feel so passionately about and I've worked so hard for. Mm. So I think sometimes, you know, when it comes to, to navigating balance, it is about like saying yes and saying no. Yeah. No, there's so much power in yes. There's also so much power in no. Because when you say mm-hmm. yes to something, you're inevitably saying no to something else. And right. you got to be able to live with whatever it is that you're saying no to by saying yes to something. Oh, wow. That's huge. You turned down the book deal. But it sounds like there was so much meaning in that decision for you and thought that went into that decision. And because it did not, it didn't fit. And I love how you're using this word ecosystem. Like I never really thought about it in that way, but that's, oh, that's huge. That's so powerful. So you're also bringing up this burnout piece here. And I'll share that, you know, recently I was definitely feeling the symptoms of burnout and I think we all do. And there was, when I, what I discovered is that I have a new relationship with burnout where instead of Mm -hmm. feeling it and then being like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Like I have this e-course that's about supporting folks and not getting burnt out (laughs) and I'm getting burnt out. Um, What's, what, what, what am I doing here? What's wrong with me? And then I remind myself, Cassidy, you are human. And actually, Mm -hmm. your humanness is what makes you better at supporting others and navigating because you actually live it and know it. Um, But I was feeling burned out recently. And symptoms of burnout for me tend to look like feeling like I'm doing a lot of things, but none of them really well. And there's Mm -hmm. guilt and there's just that, like my brain feels like it has a million tabs open, but like I don't know which one. <laughs> like a million tabs open, and like one of them's playing, they're all frozen. Yeah, they're all yeah. frozen, and one of them is playing music, but I don't know where the music's coming from. <laughs> I'm just like, what is happening? I just set it all down. Um, and what I because I have this new relationship with burnout, where I'm like, hey, hey, burnout, welcome back. I knew you'd show up because you often do. Hello, old friend. Hello, old friend. Exactly. Um, What's the data here, right? And and typically, at least in this most recent time, it's, okay, like I am, I need to go back to my why. I need to connect in back in with my values. I need to identify what I want to prioritize right now. I need to look at how these different things can actually be feeding into each other and supporting each other. I probably need to take a look at my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I may need to ask for help, which is hard. And so what I ended up actually doing is I ended up hiring a an assistant for the first time ever, um, a virtual Amazing. assistant. And it has been a huge game changer. Um, 
And it's, it's allowing me to kind of, it, which is hard for me to say, Hey, you, can you take on these things? And, and it's funny as, as I've done that, I've also been like continuing to do these things and I have to <laughs> like, I have somebody else to help me do these things. So anyway, it's, there's, there's a lot of data in the burnout and when we can bring in some compassion for our humanness, which means mm-hmm. that burnout's going to happen. Um, and when I also remind myself, like what led to the burnout, like, it's not that I'm just, you know, horrible, a horrible businesswoman. It's that like, I'm really excited and I say yes to a lot of things and I want to do a lot of things and I want to do them well. So I'll pour a lot into it. And then burnout, you know, so I think that, you know, it's just giving that compassion and then coming back to like, what are the values? How can these things, how can I work like, you know, work less hard, but work smarter and get more done without working as much because these things are aligning and batching my work um, and having better boundaries and getting help, allowing myself to receive support. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, you know, this is the thing. It's like, we talk a lot about, you know, self-care and burnout. I mean, I talk a lot about it with my clients and just in general and the yeah. workshops they do and stuff. And it's not, no one, no one that I know at least is a hundred percent perfect at self-care or no. avoiding burnout. Heck no. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. And then you factor in the things like if you're a parent, if you're working, if you're a partner, if you're all of these things, right? Yeah. We give and we take from them. And I think as clinicians by nature, we're givers, we're yes people, mm-hmm. right? We give our time, we give our empathy, we give our, you know, our existence to serving other people and holding space for other people. And in that, we sometimes forget to attend to ourselves. And so we are going to burn out. It's inevitable. It's part of the work. It's how do you, like like you said, how do you identify when it's happening and how do you give yourself some grace and say, it's okay. Like I feel burnt out and that's okay. Now, what do I do to feel better? Mm. Yep. Oh, yes. All the things. Okay. (laughs) Well, I am so grateful that we were able to have this conversation with each other. Is there, are there any sort of last messages or last words that you'd want to share with a therapist that's listening right now? And she or he are wondering, gosh, like I want to diversify, but I'm scared to, or I'm worried if I, you know, if I put on more that I'm just going to, it's just going to lead to burnout. Is there any sort of like last message that you'd want to share to that therapist that's listening right now? I think just to keep in mind that the possibilities are endless and that they're not going anywhere. Mm. I know for myself, like as an, as an associate, I often felt like, oh, I can't do this right now because I'm working under the supervision of somebody else. And I would say like, you know, for those of you who are in that, if you're trainees or associates, talk to your supervisors. If there's something that you really feel passionate about doing, go to them, talk to them, see how they can support you. And if you find that they're not supportive, that opportunity will be there later, mm-hmm. you know, or you can find a different way to navigate it. Yes. Um, but there is just, there is so much that we can do outside of sitting with clients that makes us better clinicians when we're in the room with our clients. Mm-hmm. And yes. so just to not limit yourselves. Uh, I could not agree more. Thank you so much for taking the time. Okay, so where can people find you if they'd love to continue following your work? So I'm at Sahar Martinez, uh, MFT, on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And my website is www.saharmartinez.com. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. This has been so great. And I will share those links in the show notes for anybody who is listening and wanting to find you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. Ready to build or grow your modern private practice? Click the link in the show notes for Modern Therapist Academy, a comprehensive e-course to support you in building and growing your private practice. Thank you for inviting me and my guests into your day. Be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear when new episodes launch. Have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.